Hello, it's Nick Knight here, podiatrist director here from NK Active. So we've just recorded our latest NK Active podcast with Dr. Jill Halstead. It was a really, really informative, great episode chatting all things arthritis. However, Jill halfway through had some Wi-Fi issues, we had to turn the video off and we lost a bit of some of the sound. Because the content was so good, we still want to put it out there for everyone to listen to, but I just want to reassure everyone that we are going to get Jill back on the podcast at a different time. So enjoy the episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast and any questions, just let us know. Hello and welcome to another episode of the NK Active podcast. Uh, we've got a fantastic guest um, for this episode, Dr. Jill Halstead. She's a podiatrist and clinical and research lead up north. I've known Jill, oh, I can't remember how it must be, at least 10 years plus now. I can't remember. Um, but Jill, sort of give us a background, a bit of an intro and a background about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Nick, and thanks for inviting me. My name's Jill Halstead. I'm, a, like Nick said, I've been a podiatrist for 20 years. Um, I started out in a dual role with uh, research, always been an interest of mine, and I was part of a national internship scheme when I graduated in 2003. And I've worked in lots of environments. I've worked in the NHS. I've worked in private practice. Um, and I've uh, worked in hospitals as well as community, so lots of different settings. And my research is mainly um, being um, in community and in hospitals around rheumatology, so that's different types of arthritis. Um, and that's why I'm here talking to Nick today. It is, and your the work that you were involved in is most probably one of the first bits of research that actually made a big difference to my practice. And I remember telling you, so I remember getting excited because as a researcher, you're always excited when actually you do some research and it actually makes real life difference. And it's the one bit of research that I consistently use on a regular basis. And that's to do with strength through the inside of the ankle and mid osteoarthritis. And you basically found if someone has arthritis in the middle of their foot, they tend to have reduction in strength around the ankle. Uh, on the inside of the ankle and when we test that in clinic we find that every single time they have that reduction in strength and then we then work on helping them get stronger we then retest the strength the symptoms are settled and the strength is shot up as well so that was yeah that was the first bit of research yeah. that really made a big difference to us in practice and still use it today um so talk us a bit about Oh, thanks, Nick. Yeah, that was some work we did with um, John Arnold, who's also a researcher from Australia. He came over to Leeds to work with us on midfoot osteoarthritis. Uh, we'd done some previous work showing that if we supported the arch, some people respond to that really well, who've got some midfoot arthritis. But I think there's a lot. Of, there was a lot of confusion around what's the implications of having some weakness around the foot and ankle um, when you have arthritis of the foot. I think people assumed it was kind of more passive than that you're just loading and it was a lot of the research was focused on load and what's happening at the bone level and not so much happening around the muscles so yeah that was a really good piece of work that we did with um john around um the little muscles in the arch of your foot and also the big muscles that come down from the knee and the medial side 
Um, and yeah, we used a dynamometer, which is something like a machine you can push against to see how strong you are in those muscles. And I think Nick's really taken that forward and you use dynamometers quite a bit in your private practice, don't you, Nick? Yeah, we've been using the dynamometer rule for about eight, nine years now in clinic, yeah. Great. So we were just talking about um, the research used a, a dynamometer, which is where you can push against um, this piece of kit that tells us how strong those muscles are. And there's been some great developments in there and that you can use different adaptations that allow us to look at the strength in the foot. And like Nick said, he uses that in his clinic. And that's something that we use as part of the research. So it's a really clinically friendly uh, piece of equipment. And if you're a patient and you have, you know, pain and or swelling or redness or heat changes or color changes in the middle of your foot, particularly on the top, um, going to a clinician like Nick and others who have uh, these bits of equipment that can help us understand if you've got weakness there. And also we can show that if you come back, we can check to see how the exercises are working, which I think is really important because like we found as part of the research that, uh, ex that whether you're strong in that part of your foot around the arch is really important as to um, how that relates to pain, you know, how severe your pain is and also like nick said about how you have potential um, improvements over time so i think this is a really nice example of where research comes into practice that you know nick has obviously been so gracious about and telling us that it really helped him and i think there's that potential to help you as somebody with arthritis and as a clinician who deals with these kinds of arthritis in the middle of the foot and i think that also then builds on to the you mentioned it also other bits of work that you were involved in that we know from the literature that when you talk about managing, say, midfoot osteoarthritis, we if you improve the strength, that can help symptoms. But we also know that having something that can support the arch of the foot can also help symptoms, or a possible slight rocker shoe can help offload the foot as well. And I think you're involved in some of that research as well, weren't you? Yeah, so we did the first study looking at whether you can um, put... Um, something inside the shoe to support the arch with midfoot osteoarthritis it works really well in early cases particularly where the arch um, of your foot is sat really nicely onto an insole so it's important to get a really good fit around that some people get away with buying things over the counter but it's really important that your arch neatly fits over it so seeing a professional is beneficial um, so that we showed that did help people where you've got more advanced osteoarthritis and you maybe got bony lumps over the top of your foot you have to be a little bit more careful because you can push those bony lumps into your shoes and some people get real pain over the top of their foot when they've got more lumps and bumps over the top of their foot when it's associated with arthritis but we can you know Nick and I and lots of people can really help with that we can tell you how to lace your shoes and give you advice over how we can accommodate that but for some people where it's really inflamed and what we do know about midfoot osteoarthritis is it is more susceptible to being inflamed is that sometimes you need to go to that next level and some people who don't do well with either the you know supporting the arch or strengthening it some people do end up sometimes with an injection and we do know if we can settle that down people um, do better with the other therapies but we tend to reserve that for people who are quite advanced or just it doesn't seem to like calm down um, in your experience, Nick, do you find there's many patients like that or do you tend to get the early cases? Um, we'll tend to either get really early or really advanced. Um, so we are from really early and we can then tend to the orthopods, the orthopedic surgeons or the rheumatologists or the sports medics or GPs will pick it up early. 
and then send them to us. And then we can then generally manage that quite well in clinic. Um, or we'll see them where they've got really advanced osteoarthritis and they're, they're looking to happen to go down the surgical option and they want to see, have we sort of dotted the I's and crossed the T's, as it were, um, with it. So we, since we've been working on sort of taking your research into practice, a number of referrals for injections and surgery have dramatically reduced, but we still see a, a number of patients where actually the arthritis is so severe that actually they end up having to go down the um, the surgical route, but luckily that number is getting smaller and smaller. And that's fantastic, isn't it? Because we kind of, you know, we've, we've had quite a lot of things that have helped us understand like big toe arthritis for many years, but I think the midfoot, um, particularly when I started researching it, um, and that was first in my master's around 2008, I think there wasn't a lot of information. I think people really concentrated on really a sort of tendon that you have around your ankle. Um, and there was a lot of research and still is a lot of research looking at the weakness of that tendon, but not really thinking about how muscle strength generally at the foot and ankle is just really important for a, for arthritis. So, yeah, I think it, it's good to hear that it's had really good outcomes for your patients. And I think it's about getting the right combination. And also, you know, people feeling like they want that change and they're able to invest in that and do the exercises because as we know, it's really important to stay active and be present and be part of your life and your daily activities. And if we can promote that as part of that management of arthritis, I think that's brilliant and getting generally stronger as you know, Nick and I both believe, you know, health and strength and wellbeing is is really important. So I think generally just keeping strong is a good thing as well, isn't it? And I think I know you've been a strong advocate of that a long time. Oh without a shadow of a doubt. And we've um seen a, a change since we've sort of in that post-pandemic era now, as it were in that people want to be more proactive and even the um the world health organization haven't they they've updated their guidelines saying that we should all really be doing three strengthening sessions a week on top of our cardio based stuff because we know not even just from an osteoarthritis viewpoint but we know even from a falls prevention viewpoint from actually life expectancy viewpoint actually being strong and active has so many positive attributes and benefits to it and even down to managing your own mental health we know that exercise quite often um is is such an effective tool in in managing just how we feel so the way we sort of like phrase it to patients a lot of the time is a case of okay i can't we can't guarantee that by getting you stronger we're going to resolve all your symptoms but it's almost like the worst that's going to happen is you're going to get a bit fitter and stronger, which isn't really a bad thing. Um, yeah. Even if you've got to go on for more interventions like injections or surgery, I'm a big believer that if you go into those fitter and stronger, you tend to get a better outcome anyway. So it's one of those things that it's there's not much to lose, I feel, in, in just getting that little bit more active and a little bit stronger. Yeah, and I think, and that's and that's what I'm saying. It's the general trajectory of that. I mean, if you're if you're a person with foot pain and you're listening to podcasts, you know, think about that. How many heel raises can you do before getting tired or achy? How strong are your calves? And if you're feeling really weak, you know, it's important to think about that and why, you know, investing in your health is really important and getting yourself strong. So even simple things like that, understanding what your baseline is, because 
what does happen over time is what we have to recognize is your muscles just get weaker over time and they take a little bit more maintenance as we age so that happens slowly in men because of our of the hormones like testosterone and in women it can happen slowly or quite sudden depending on the menopause where our muscles don't work quite as effective and we have to work harder to maintain muscle strength and it's something that we do have to be aware of that it does change our lives you know we're not quite as robust and and uh yeah um able to just take on exercise or long bouts of exercise we once did when we were younger and i think that's it's just like you say nick says it's it's really important that we focus on the benefits of that so yeah i think it's it's good for us to understand like how we age and how we age well as well and it's something that um i, I know we have some of our patients that listen to this and so they will know that we quite often in clinic draw sort of muscle strength and age and what happens over a very human's lifespan and once you get to a certain age strength naturally is declining but the silver arrow i always say is that well as long as the heart is still beating and you've got blood pumping around your body if you give the body the right stimulus it will respond in a positive manner we know from the don't we from the work from new zealand where they got people of osteoporosis in their 70s lifting weights off the floor reverse the osteoporosis process just by being a little more active and a little bit stronger um yeah. we, we know it just has so many benefits and dave our rehabilitation instructor who's been on the podcast many a times always speaks about that to do that you don't always have to use a gym setting you there's plenty of stuff you can do around the house on a regular basis there's plenty of load and weight that you can add around the house to actually start making some positive changes it doesn't have to be hitting the gym three times a week there's lots of things you can do just while boiling the kettle while brushing your teeth if you start doing that consistency on a regular basis you can make a big difference can't you yeah yeah and yeah and that and that's the great aspect isn't it like you say it's understanding what you can do for your health and well-being so you feel like it's it's positive for you um and i think that's just you know a really nice message um i think the other thing that we also want to talk about is just what to look out for where you think things might yeah. not be quite as simple such as things like osteoarthritis which we we'll all get to some degree um as we do age because it is a component of aging although that's not the only component but it's also good to look out for other things and what to do in those scenarios so it'd be good for us to maybe touch on that as well nick i think Yes, especially because we've spoken a lot about osteoarthritis in the past, but we know that. Um, so if we stay on osteoarthritis for a little bit and then we can then look at moving towards other forms of arthritis to look out for. But Jill, did you want to sort of sort of show us if someone's thinking they got more osteoarthritis, what, what are the sort of things they will be experiencing looking for, really? Yeah, so things that to be aware of with um, osteoarthritis, if you're thinking it's in your foot, is you generally have patterns of pain with load and weight bearing. So thinking about going up and down those stairs, thinking about going up hills, thinking about walking through those distances, you may not get pain immediately with standing, but most people, particularly if it's in the midfoot, they get pain as they push off onto the toes. They find stairs a bit more challenging. They find hills a bit more challenging. Um, so you tend to find it, it's definitely more bone and bone movement type pain. Um, you don't tend to get much pain at rest unless it's quite inflamed. And if it's 
inflamed, you'll see change in your skin tone. So if you have a lighter skin tone, you might see more redness. If you have a darker skin tone, it might look more purple or might look more gray, but it'll go darker. If you have swelling, you might feel red and you might get some heat around that swelling. And if it's at the midfoot, it'll be on the top of the midfoot, right in the center. It's a level with the middle of your arch. Um, if it, Sometimes you can get this with other tendon problems, which means it can ache a little bit more and throb, and that might be behind the ankle. Um, but generally speaking, bone pain will feel like I say it's more with weight and weight bearing and that's what we found is most people describe that walking pain um, and that it generally went got better with rest um, but if they tried to progress and walk through it it, it kind of stabilized but it didn't really go away so it doesn't generally improve with exercise like other tendon problems can sometimes or heel yeah. pain it really gets worse and people really struggle and that's when they can become very self-limiting so that's osteoarthritis the other thing we may have in clinic and you uh, may see it as well and it, we, we see it more in men than we do women but it is people coming in thinking that actually have i got osteoarthritis or have i got gout for example so how would sort of gout present slightly differently to osteoarthritis yeah so osteoarthritis this generally likes to come with friends so what we mean by that is you're more likely to have osteoarthritis if you have other medical conditions and they talk about these medical conditions being under a banner called metabolic conditions and they can be things like high blood pressure high cholesterol carrying excess weight around your tummy um also having things like diabetes and pre-diabetes um, where your blood sugar is a little bit high, but not too high. And they all like to come together. And that generally affects people more around their midfoot when they come with that collection. Um, and then the other thing that likes to come with that, as like I say, osteoarthritis likes friends, is gout can also be associated with that kind of metabolic condition. And so people who complain of gout, gout can seem very different to osteoarthritis, but you can get them at the same time. And gout can appear it's very common at the big toe and that's probably where me most people know but it can occur at the midfoot and i have seen midfoot um gout in private practice generally speaking because it's not so bad you feel like you've got a fracture but it feels bad enough um and it will feel like it's swollen it'll feel like it's a lot more inflamed for longer periods and it doesn't seem to go on and off more like osteoarthritis it's more consistent it comes on very suddenly without rhyme or reason, despite you've not maybe done a lot of exertion or done a lot to um, aggravate it. Um, and the big, the big, probably the big difference is it'll affect you more at night gout. So people that feel very uncomfortable when they go to bed, whereas generally with more rest, your midfoot osteoarthritis feels better. Gout will feel worse at rest. So these are all things to look out for. Um, and also if it's in lots of regions, not just one. So gout generally likes to come in one joint, but it can affect in multiple joints. And there are other factors that you need to be aware of. If you take um, water tablets, you're more likely to get gout. So that can be a risk factor. So just to be aware of that. And what about then with gout? The uh, A lot of people think it's heavily related to alcohol consumption. Yeah, that is a risk factor. Um, 
particularly quite heavy amounts of alcohol. What we do know now, because there's a lot more genetic studies, is there's a definite genetic susceptibility with alcohol and gout. So some people have a very low tolerance for having alcohol and can still get quite severe gout. People always thought it's like the more you drink, it's like that consumption idea from the, you know, the 18th century, that the more you drink, the worse it is. But actually some people have a low tolerance. For instance, um, if you've got any Japanese heritage, they have a low tolerance for alcohol, but they have gout in much higher rates with lower tolerance. So it doesn't necessarily always come with that, but alcohol is a risk. Um, high protein diets. So you will get them in people if you're into your bodybuilding. So thinking about your high protein diets, that is a risk as well. You might have, to have a high protein diet for the reasons, but it is something to consider. So people who really go out for like high protein diet in like they'll eat lots of meats, but they'll also have these high protein bars plus drinks. So it's it's adding and adding and adding. So just having a good protein diet doesn't really mean you'll get gout. But if you eat, everything's very high protein. So if you're in that very high end athletic world, it's something to really um, be thinking about um because that that's not good for your kidneys and gout's linked with with more of your kidneys and how so if you haven't got kidneys that work very well you can also be at risk of gout now and we um we had a case in clinic recently where we had a someone come in um i suspected midfoot uh well gout around the midfoot and also the ankle joint and yeah we sent them off to send this person off to rheumatology and sports doc and yeah, it, we did find out that it was gout and they were surprised because they're like, it normally affects the big toe. Well, the big, as you've already said, the big toe is the most common joint, but it doesn't mean it always happens in the big toe joint, does it? No, and what we do know, gout, although it's very, very uncomfortable and not very nice, it's the only reversible arthritis. It's the only arthritis we know. We treat it very well. It'll do very well. So it's the only arthritis we can treat with effective drugs, um, with with osteoarthritis, as people know, we're on this, listen to this podcast, you know, they've, they've tried painkillers, they've tried anti-inflammatory, they don't always work all of the time effectively. Uh, they can help for sure. But with gout, we do know we've got a good prevention drug that will take down um, the levels of urate, which are related to gout in the blood. And we do know that we have good effective treatments for when you get these, what we call like gout flares, um, but it's really manageable and with lifestyle changes and good medication, you can do really, really well, but it's something that we can't leave too long because it can cause quite a lot of change to the joint if it's left indefinitely. And some people, I think they're not quite sure it's there or they leave it for too long and it can cause damage at the joint. So we always say, if you think it's gout, make sure you act quickly. And it's unfortunately, it's one of those things, isn't it? That once the damage has been done to the joints, then that can't be reversed, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, because gout, um, it's it's basically like little crystals it forms in the bone. So once they've formed, it's really hard to um, reverse that. Um, although some, some bony changes that happen when you're younger, you can do quite a bit better with as you get older in that your bone does that, bones actually do replace themselves entirely. It takes about anything from one to seven years to replace your skeleton. But once you've had that damage with gout, it doesn't have as good reversibility as other areas. Whereas we've shown if you have injuries or joint changes in your 20s you generally get you, your bone can repair you cut it wear and repair we don't call it wear and tear anymore because it can repair in some cases um but but with gout that's not always the case um and it does need for some people where they're more susceptible lifelong treatment so like again it's one of those things that we do know it's linked with metabolic health so if you're thinking that you've got it you know it's good to get a good health check and you do need a lot 
of GP involvement. So the podiatrist is there to help you manage it, but make sure you're signposted early. And we see enough gout because it primarily affects the feet that we're really good at spotting it. So if you're unsure, get yourself to a podiatrist. Thank you. I think that's a good place to bring this to an end to try and keep this in under 30 minutes around that time. I just want to say a massive, massive thank you for coming on and hopefully you'll come on again because there's so many so many more topics i want to discuss with you and then we can try and have a more stable internet connection uh, <laughs> as well as well but at least we got the audio all sorted um yeah. so thank you very much so hopefully you enjoyed that episode please do subscribe to the podcast if you have any questions please let us know and we shall See you on the next episode. See you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye.